You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. It's an honor to meet you, officially. I sort of met you. I mean, I watched you while you were sleeping. I mean, I was, I was present while you were unconscious from the ice. You know, it's really, it's just a, just a huge honor to have you on board. Is well, I hope I'm a man for the job. Oh, you are, absolutely. Uh, we made some modifications to the uniform. I had a little design input. The uniform? Aren't the stars and stripes a little old-fashioned? Everything that's happening, the things that are about to come to light, people might just need a little old-fashioned. Think guys are friendly? Doesn't matter. If he frees Loki or kills him, the Tesseract's lost. Stark! We need a plan of attack. I have a plan. Attack. I'd sit this one out, Cap. I don't see how I can. These guys come from legend. They're basically gods. There's only one god, ma'am. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. I'm so excited to be here. I hope you have picked up some shawarma which I'm pretty sure that the panel has gotten a taste of, and goodness, it's so good. So if we have our mouths full, we're talking just, you'll understand why. Uh, before we dive into the show, just a quick reminder, of course, you can find all the shows on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. We love being a feature provider there with the 602 Club and everybody else there, a part of the Trek FM network. It's fantastic. Of course, we're doing the iTunes review contest right now, so please... Help out the show. Go to iTunes, give us a quick star rating and review, and you could be entered to win Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition on digital. Uh, we'd love to give that away to you. It's it's definitely worth it, especially if you get it for free. Uh, it basically only took you maybe a minute to write a review, so go do that, and it'll help other people find the show. Of course, uh, you can send us an email. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Just choose the 602 Club there voicemails. Alice loves leaving us voicemails sometime, and I love getting them. Uh, speakpipe.com slash trekfm. Of course, on Twitter, at trekfm. Facebook, facebook.com slash trekfm. And the listeners-only discussion group, the Babel Conference. Uh, if you're on Facebook, just type Babel into the search field there. You'll find us. Or if you're on our website at trek.fm, just click discussion on the menu bar. Well, I have some fantastic Avengers here with me this week to talk about the Avengers. We finally reached that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, and I know what you're thinking. Wait, didn't you all already cover uh, Avengers 8 of Ultron? Yes, you're right, we did. But we haven't actually talked about the original Avengers. And so with me to do that, taking on the moniker of her son's favorite character from the movie, it's Alice. I mean, Maria Hill. <laughs> well, I am happy as always to be here. And uh, I haven't had the opportunity to chat with Daniel in a while, so I'm super excited about getting to uh, discuss this movie with him and you, as always. Uh, and yes, my son, much to my surprise, picked 
Agent Maria Hill as his favorite character from the movie, which, gosh, who wouldn't, right? I mean, Black Widow is mine. No, I mean, I'll just put it out there right now. <laughs> Black Widow is mine. Well, Daniel, I, I just say her son's got taste. I, I would not disagree. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm happy to be here as well. And, and Matthew, I look forward to getting into it about uh, who's the real hero of this uh, film. And spoilers, it is Iron Man. Uh, as always, but uh. oh right, right. Uh, well, that's Boy. only because Boy. he takes his own advice. He takes Captain America's advice and learns how to become the hero. But we'll get into that. Six oh two Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we already talked about that film too, man. So what's so interesting about this movie to me, and it still is, and part of it has been the way that we've kind of been slowly going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe and. Uh, we started at the beginning with Iron Man and we've been working our way forward. So it's been interesting to get back to the Avengers now where phase one is wrapping up and they're going to be kicking off the next phase after this. And so I think it's really interesting uh, because this really was honestly, I think a huge experiment. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest film franchise that we've had that, actually has interconnectivity with each film is probably Star Wars and the way that they've been doing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think that's the closest correlation that I can think of um, that isn't something like Harry Potter, but, I mean, Harry Potter has the book series to go off of. Yes, I know everybody's screaming right now at their iPods or their iPhones, but they have the comics. Well, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe takes all of these characters and really makes them their own. They're not one for one like they are in the comics. And they're creating a lot of the stories kind of loosely based on some of the things that happen in the comics, but not really. So I, I think that was really interesting to me. And I wanted to talk to you guys about this idea of bringing all these characters together and the threads from each of the individual films from those characters that you kind of see playing through this movie. Yeah, I, I think for me, one of the ways that I look at it or I, I'm fascinated about how the film industry just works in general is how far in advance the uh, studio and the producers had to have everything planned out, not only for, you know, what they call phase one um, and then phase two and now we're, you know, headed into phase three here, like how, how much of it they planned out. I remember that big announcement, you know, like, here are the next, you know, Marvel movies coming for the next 10 years or forever how long it was. Um, you know, how much time and energy goes into that intertwining of not only the films and who's going to get featured and what's going to happen, but then they've also been developing, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now on television and how all of that gets um, woven together. Uh, and even back to the comics and how now the f the films are informing some of the comics that are being published. So I, I find it from a, you know, the man perspective of who's controlling the Marvel Universe, a fascinating uh, endeavor. I I'm just fascinated by it. And I mean, as fans, I mean, this is, and especially at the time, this was mind-blowing, right? Like, at the end of, of Iron Man, when... Uh, when uh, Samuel Jackson shows up and talks about the initiative, right? Like that, we, we were all kind of stoked and we're like, oh my, is this, is this going to really happen? You know, and of course it depended on if it was a success, which it was a wild success. And, and even just that beginning bit there, like, could they really do this? Could they pull this off? And that it's no, it's no short order to do this. This is incredible that the, 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 the um, 
complexity that they had to go through to kind of build this universe out with these separate characters. Yeah, I remember. when. Which film was it that they did the first Avengers a sort of sneak peek at the end of it? Because I remember being in the theater for that. And literally, I would say three-fourths of the audience actually stood up and applauded when they did that little sneak peek at the end of, was it Thor? It's Thor, it Iron I Man believe, two? It was that Thor? has that. Because I think, if I remember correctly... It's Thor is, is the last film before we hit Avengers. And so the tag for that was at the very end of the movie was the Avengers is coming out in, you know, the next year, the next summer. So a big deal that that, that would happen. Yeah. yeah. I think Daniel's right. I think Captain America, the first Avenger comes out before in between those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Correctly. I think yeah. You, I think and, you're exactly I remember right. like the build-up to this movie, and, like, they released... The first still, I think, that they released uh, at all was um, from the fight scene in the forest, and it's just it's just uh, Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor just standing there. And, like, I lost my geek mind. Like, they're all just standing there in the flesh, <laughs> and you're like, what is happening? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, we'll talk more about how the film turned out, but yeah, just just to kind of get these characters on the screen at one time, you know, up to that point, you know, not really heard of. I agree. I I totally agree that there was, of all of them, I think that, that the Avengers had the biggest anticipation from the fans, as you're saying, Daniel. I totally agree. Well, and, and it had, I mean, it had so much to try and do. I think... That's the hardest thing. You know, this is the first major comic book team movie, and we were joking on the other side of the bar there that, uh, you know, what about Team America World Police? Um, But (laughs) this is really the first time that we've gotten a group together like this. And and let's not even talk about Fantastic Four, uh, you know, um, that had come before. This is really the, I mean, bringing all of these characters from their own films with their own plot lines and weaving them all together to create a story that services each one of them, but also a specific story that's happening here, but also is going to build on something later. That's a tall order. I mean, I it's, it's really... I think that's what makes this movie... So special is that Joss Whedon did find a way to balance everything that you got here. And that's what was incredible, is that there was the balance. And because, I mean, you could have easily had this be the Iron Man show or the Captain America show or, you know, any of the other characters. But they all play, I think, for the most part so well together and it weaves all together so well that you're not feeling, again, any kind of imbalance, which is just mind-blowing. I feel like Joss Whedon was uh, the best man for the job and may have been one of the reasons why he got the job because he has such a strong history of doing really great ensemble work, right? Angel, Firefly, Buffy, Dollhouse. I mean, he typically directs ensemble pieces, and so... I think uh, he he had many years to hone and develop the skill uh, that really did him proud in the film because I think he did an excellent job. And not only 
you know, as you say, he's he's trying trying to bring all these elements together. This film is actually tremendously entertaining, even if you don't have the foreknowledge of all the other films going in. Or, you know, now we have post-knowledge, of course, the, the after-knowledge of what's going on afterwards. But if you just watch this movie and you've never seen any of these other films before, you are still going to have a great time. This is It's going to be fun to watch this film. And that's kind of amazing that he, he, like you said, Matthew, he's pulling from all these other movies that, of course, if you've seen them, you're getting ten times the enjoyment. But you could still walk into this cold and have, have fun. Well, and, and that's what's, I mean... That's what's so interesting. So kind of just the individual films, what they're bringing in. You know, Captain America is bringing in, obviously, the man out of time. Is he really going to fit in? Uh, Is he going to be needed uh, with this team? Is he the right man for the job? You know, Iron Man still bringing in the fact that is he stable enough to be a part of a team or is he just too narcissistic and volatile? You know, (laughs) on top of that, can Hulk pull it together enough to be useful? Uh, or is he just going to Hulk out at any moment at the wrong time? Uh, you know, is is Natasha really somebody that we really want to trust with all of this kind of stuff? You know, I mean, all of these characters have things about them that they're bringing from their, a Thor. You know, uh, how does he fit into this world when his, you know, real life is back on Asgard and he has bigger things to worry about, um, like the galaxy um so it's it's also well done that they bring in everything that they've used before in iron man in the incredible hulk in thor and in um captain america and of course iron man 2 it happened as well uh they bring all of those story elements in here and they all have some kind of resolution by the end of this to where you can move forward with them. And that is just, again, to me, I can't say enough about what Joss Whedon does here in this film. Totally different story in Age of Ultron, um, but that's not really his fault, I don't think. But here, I think the studio trusted him, and they let him make his movie the way he wanted, and I think it shows. And, And part of that was using all these disparate characters bringing them together and making them the team. Because, I mean, that's what we were so excited about watching was this is the Avengers coming together. So being the first major comic book film, I I don't know if this is really a question, but how do you think it does? Oh, well, I mean, I think it's... it's thoroughly enjoyable, just like Daniel said. I mean, I always use my sister Liza as a litmus test because she's not a geek. Uh, but she enjoys a good summer blockbuster film, so she doesn't have the the you know nerd history, geek history, whatever you want to call it, uh, going into these films. And you know she thoroughly enjoyed the two and a half hours, <laughs> relatively long film it is, uh, and had a great time. Uh, the Avengers isn't a group other than Black Widow that I particularly read uh, in terms of comics, so I, I don't particularly know the backstory for any of the big three. Um, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. So even for me, uh, when they're throwing in the pearls uh, for the super nerds or the the super comic book geeks, uh, you know, a lot of those went over my head for the for the most part. But again, I still I, it is. I was happy to pay my money the first time I saw it, <laughs> uh, and I would happily pay for it again. It's a film I would buy and own. You know, like it's that it's that fun. Yeah, I think. Uh, 
probably four or five times I saw this film in theaters. Uh, one of those few, one of those rare. I think uh, Star Trek two, uh, 09 was what was the other one, and then Dark Knight, which I also saw multiple, multiple times. Um, yeah, I mean, so it, it is it, to me, it's phenomenal. It's it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's infinitely rewatchable. It's so much fun every time you go back and just you just turn it on, and you're just gonna have. You're gonna have a good time. It's funny. The action's solid. It's just and and the characters they just kind of mesh so well together. Uh, I, I think yeah, it passes with flying colors without a doubt. No, I, I I can't really add anything to that. I mean, it is kind of. Um, I I think of in Deep Space Nine where the um, genetically engineered people that have come on that aren't quite as up to speed as as. Bashir are and the the one guy they got on by him pretending to be an admiral saying that's a stupid question <laughs> um because nobody wants to you know like say anything to an admiral who says that so that's uh, that question is kind of a stupid question because yes this movie works like gangbusters and I think it does so because of all the things we were talking about and because Joss Wheaton finds a way to make a movie with this many heroes and this many leads feel like you got enough time with each and you didn't feel cheated well but I, certainly for for the big three I, I think you're absolutely right he he crafted a story that um gives you plenty of uh fun times with each each one of those three guys and not that the other characters don't get some time but it is clear that those are the three leads of the film uh and everybody else is primarily uh feeding those stories but I totally agree with you. I mean, he's such a clever writer. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many funny, funny bits in this film that even, you know, again, my son who, has, who doesn't have a ton of, um, you know, geek history, he's only 10 for heaven's sakes, uh, but even he was calling out like, oh my God, that's so funny. Didn't you see that clever thing he did with that <laughs> line? And, you know, I am not a big fan of the 90s one-liner, and I feel like Joss Whedon takes that sort of concept and and ups it, you know, improves it like tenfold um, to, to make them be more like tete-a-tetes or two-liners or something like that. He's so clever with the witty repartee, let's say, uh, and I so much more prefer that uh, in writing than the, the <laughs> stupid one-liner thing that was so popular in the 90s. Well, I mean, and it's funny you say that because, you know, my I think my favorite scene in the film is the first time we see Natasha and, you know, she's being quote unquote interrogated and then the phone rings and she's talking to Coulson and she's like, I, I can't leave now. This idiot is giving me everything. <laughs> and he's just like, I mean, the whole scene and the way that it's written and you realize that She's been the one in control the whole time. And then, of course, she just lets loose and kicks their ass. I mean, it's fantastic. And it's such, such a great scene because it does so much for who that character is and telling you who it is in about three minutes. Like, this is the epitome of who this character is. And, and that's what this film does with everyone, you know. And so I, I really like that. I mean, I think... If anybody gets short shrift, it's probably Hawkeye, um, because you know he's. Um, I see you, Daniel. I see <laughs> because you. he's Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, I don't really think. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, but he also, oh, you know, he, he's Matt under Braxton's the influence of, awesome. uh, you know, under the influence of the scepter, and uh, he did a little scepter time, uh, and so uh, 
But uh, yeah, I think it's that's that's the great thing about this film is that there is that for each one of these characters, and it just makes it so much fun. Um, for me, a thing that I have seen over and over again as I've, I've watched this movie is, okay, so Joss Whedon had to make a decision. If you're going to have these, you know, characters, who's going to kind of be your pivot point? Who's going to be the one that everybody kind of circles around? And, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, on basketball. Who's going to be your Michael Jordan? And I, I think it was interesting for him to choose Captain America and not Iron Man because he talked about that in an interview saying that they had Iron Man kind of being the center of the film as they were writing it and it just wasn't working. And so they kind of made Captain America more that character and all of a sudden things started to fall into place. And to me that's just so interesting because Cap is, he's the man at a time. He's got old-fashioned values, as as Coulson said. You know, he's been a soldier. Uh, but it makes sense because in the end, this is the only guy on the team who knows what it means to be on a team. Daniel, I know you're just, <laughs> you're just itching to jump in. So why don't you go? I'll let Civil War happen, and then maybe I'll come in at well, the it, end. It's, it's, <laughs> it is interesting. I you know, Actually, watching it just for this for this episode here, I was actually struck by how well-balanced the film is. Um, I it. And I never really sat down to think about it, honestly. I don't actually, you know, I, I teased Matthew in the beginning about Iron Man being the focus just for fun. I actually think that the, the film strikes this this really good kind of everybody gets their part. And of course, some people do get a, a bigger part than others, obviously. But uh, for the most part, I think that it kind of plays to everyone's strengths. I, I, I don't see, I mean, I mean, if, if, jo, if you're saying Josh said that in an interview, I, I mean, the man wrote the movie, he probably has a bigger uh, understanding of it than I do. But to me, I don't see, I don't see it that way at all. Um, uh, I, I, you know, because he is so, uh, I, I guess I can see where he's going with it. But to me, I, Cap's journey through the film um, is no larger than Iron Man's or, uh, or, or Banner's, maybe we could say. They all kind of fit that same level to me. And I think that it plays to their strengths and to where they are in their storylines uh, and then pushes them forward as well. It's not so much that he is the the guy who gets more time. He's just the guy that everybody pivots around. Like and and Cap's the one that kind of is the glue that's holding everybody together. He actually brings everybody together. I mean, uh, you know, when Thor and Iron Man meet, the the first oh, thing shit, they yeah. do is mm -hmm. fight. You know, so and it's Cap that comes in and steps in and is like, "Are we done here? You know, we've got bigger things to do." And and so Cap doesn't have time for all of the petty bickering that they're doing. He doesn't have time for the ego. Well, Cap he does participate a little bit in that, I will say. Um, <laughs> but because I think he sees these people not necessarily really as being great heroes to him. Being a hero is being a good soldier and doing what you're told and being willing to put your life on the line. And that's the thing that he brings to this group that nobody else has is an understanding of what it means to be a good soldier, but also what it means to work together. And he's the one who kind of brings everybody together. So no, he doesn't get more time in the film, but I think it's just interesting if you do watch it and you begin to look for it, you can see the ways in which 
he's kind of the linchpin of the team, and without him, they probably wouldn't be a team in the movie. For 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 me, I, I it's kind of I can't imagine it any other way. Uh, for many of the reasons that you point out, Matt, I mean, he is he's the leader, for lack of a better word, he's the leader, uh, and I think. I couldn't imagine it any other way based on my uh, understanding of the past of those characters as they've been developed over the years through the comics and whatnot. I would say that Cap doesn't have much of a story arc, and neither does anyone else, really. It's really Iron Man who gets the story arc in this film because he's the one who starts out as the... uh, egotistic narcissistic guy but in the end is the one who makes the choice to sacrifice his life for the greater good where we've always made the assumption that cap's been doing that all along he doesn't really go any through any major changes unless you're going to say that you know he goes off and investigates shield for their you know uh presumed well well, you know i was going to (laughs) say in response to matthew you know i was going to say that you uh, Captain does pivot a little bit. He loses a tiny bit of his naivete because because Iron Man and Banner are mm-hmm. both like, dude, like, look at uh, look at uh, what he's doing. Like, you not you don't see this. So, but I, so I see both characters kind of maybe revolving around each other. It, I'm not gonna really get. I don't really. That's fine. He is the leader, Captain, of course, uh, certainly. But I do. I, I agree that um, the 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 climax is all Iron Man's and uh, and. And clearly, that's influenced by Captain America, obviously, uh, and I totally agree with that. So it's it's definitely neat how we get to see these characters push and pull each other in different directions, and and how their interactions change each other. Yeah, Joss Joss isn't a bad writer. He's a good writer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing again. Like when I was saying, just kind of like you know, Cap challenges Iron Man, saying, "Look, are you?" are you willing to be the guy who's going to lay on the wire? And Iron Man, of course, makes the joke, well, I just cut the wire. But Iron Man is actually faced with that kind of Kobayashi Maru moment of, I either save humanity or I save myself. You know, I, I save New York or I save myself. And he chooses to save New York. And I think part of that was the conversations that they've all been having together. And that's kind of the neat thing is to watch these characters revolve around each other and become better versions of themselves because they've been hanging out together. And I do think part of that is the Captain America, the old-fashioned values, you know, uh, that Coulson says maybe we just need a little old-fashioned these days. You know, uh, maybe we need to remember what we stood for before and why it was important. And I think that's really cool, and this team begins to see that as well. And uh, I like that because, you know, the idea of what makes a true hero, these characters are as raw as they get, especially somebody like, I think, a Banner or a Black Widow or Tony Stark. They're all very selfish characters, and, and they have very selfish reasons for being here. There's no... There's no real altruism until they start moving through the film and those things begin to kind of slowly seep into them like this isn't just about me. This is about something else. I think that's a that's like just a great arc to be able to watch, you know, and, and so I like you said earlier, Daniel, this film is ultimately rewatchable 
And I think the reason it's rewatchable is because it does have a lot of really cool, small character moments and themes that are going on. They continue to get deeper the more you watch the film. And that's a hallmark of a good film. Not just comic book movie, but just a good movie in general. Which makes me want to ask you guys, you know, as we're talking about this idea, you know, Black Widow has a very interesting arc in this movie because, you know, she is doing what she is doing because she wants to kind of balance her scales you know she feels like uh, her goodness and badness scales you know uh, if she had a badness level she'd be stitch uh you know from lilo and stitch like uh your badness level is here and is like almost all the way to the top when she's drawing him and um i think that's how she feels about herself and it's interesting to see her want to find a way to kind of earn some peace and salvation in doing some good. And that's that's an interesting storyline because I think a lot of us have felt like that in our lives. I, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like to me, you know, when, when she first tells the story, right, about the red in her ledger, it's obviously a ploy, a very clever ploy uh, against Loki. And a great piece of acting by Scarlett yes. Johansson in that, in mm-hmm. that scene. Oh, it's fantastic. Right. And, uh, and then you know, when she mentions it again to to Hawkeye, uh, I just feel like it's loyalty. I, I, I just don't, I see what you're saying. To me, it's not like this, I don't think she's looking for redemption, at least not in this this story, in this movie. It's, to me, I don't see it that way. I guess if you look at it, the bigger picture of, of, of Black Widow in the, in the Marvel Universe, I can see where that's going. But it feels very, um, she feels very complete, in this film, like it doesn't feel like she's trying to seek anything. It just seems like she's, uh, other than protecting her friends. Uh, to me, it's just like I, Black Widow is just kind of being a badass, and and that's kind of what she gets to do. So, yeah, I would have to say that I I am definitely more in your camp on this one as well, Daniel. That I, she doesn't have much of an arc, if any at all, um, and I think she's already, you know, she in many ways. Uh, like Captain America is doing her job now. What, how morally we feel about what her job is <laughs> may be very different than how we feel about what Captain America's job is. Uh, but I feel like she is being the good spy versus being the good soldier. Um, and I do, I, I do appreciate that they give her at least an inkling of, you know, perhaps things to come in terms of what they could do with her character should they ever choose to give her her own film for example <laughs> um but i yeah i didn't i didn't see it as a salvation or redemption feels like too big of a word to me um for for her um situation in the film and what what happens with that from the beginning to the end uh, but i do love her character and, and she is completely a bad A, uh, bad A, well, hey. B A, <laughs> bad A. She's a bad egg. That one. She's a bad egg. <laughs> but also, that being said, obviously you can kind of see now the genius of putting her in Winter Soldier, of course, and then uh, Civil War as well. You know, uh, putting those two characters together of, of uh, Captain America and Black Widow just makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, maybe if if, the, if this movie didn't play out this way, they wouldn't have gone that route. But obviously, it's uh, th- I think we can all agree it's a good a good thing that they did. Also, I don't know when else would be a better place to fit this in, Matthew. But since you are the the Cap fan here, can we agree this is the worst Cap outfit that we've we've had so far? 
this this spangly outfit he has is not uh, his best. It's his best it's not great. No, you're right. It's not great. Um, it it feels well. Blame Agent it's too bright for one. Um, and it and it has a zipper like this really weird zipper in a really strange place. Uh, you know, I know Coulson had a hand in designing it, but I feel like he should probably stick to spy work and and not you know design for clothes I, I don't think he'd win america's you know uh, next great seamstress or anything so <laughs> america's um, you know the most yeah. boring show of all time i think yeah um, hey no, project runway show, he's not winning project, project runway, runway. <laughs> yeah. I, I retract colson's project runway is is not going anywhere so I get what you guys are saying about Black Widow, and you know I think that's one of the things that makes the film interesting is there are layers, and you can read different things into it, and that's just something that I got out of it, and that was great. You know, Joss Whedon says that he'd come back and direct a Marvel film if he got to do Black Widow, so let's make that happen, Marvel. I they they do that great setup with um you know that this is just like Budapest, and you and I remember Budapest differently. You know, they do some great setups between. That's a movie I would like to see is Black Widow and Hawkeye, and what that what that backstory and history is. I would love to see that. I completely agree, and uh, sadly, Marvel is still slow to the game with uh, having a female lead. It's going to be till 2019, and I love Brie Larson being cast as uh, Captain yes. Marvel because Brie Larson is fantastic. Mm -hmm. She is brilliant as an actress, uh, but um, that's a long time to wait. So this was something that was interesting to me, and it was this idea, and I think it's uh, Tony that says it, that secrets have secrets. And, you know, this is where Cap begins to lose a little bit of that naivety. But I also think that this is a great setup. You guys weren't talking about that Cap has an arc, but I think one of his arcs is that he begins to mistrust those that are in power in this movie because he's the one who finds out that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Phase 2 weapons are weapons powered by the Tesseract and that S.H.I.E.L.D. might not be as trustworthy as all of these people thought. And I thought that was really interesting because they do such a great job of playing this game of both and. I feel like that S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury have a very good reason for being worried about their planet and wanting to do this. Uh, so I, I think that this whole section, I mean, it was really fascinating to be re-watching this and, and seeing that both sides have a point. I, I have to just... I, I'll speak to the rest of the podcast in a second, but what I heard you, what I heard you say was not Nick Fury. What I heard you say was McFlurry. Oh, nice. nice. Oh, I love a McFlurry with some nice yeah. M&Ms. Mm, yep. It's delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, this notion of his old time values, right? We are all going to key into believing this to be uh, 1940s, uh, the Nazis are the biggest, biggest evil in the world, and, and not that they aren't, they are, but, you know, and times back then were very clear about what was right and what was good, and now we live in a different world post the 1960s and Nixon and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's very much a part of our cultural um, wellstone of storytelling, you know, like we, we, people are going to tap into that very quickly. Um, so I think, you know, I think if you look at this film as looking at that problem, uh, they, they do tap into that, that very common 
theme that we get in American storytelling. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't wowed by it. I mean, at this point, I, am, I, I will admit that I'm a little bit tired of that storyline, <laughs> and, I, and I wish maybe it, it had had a little bit more complexity than it did. Um, but, you know, I'm down with all of it, because I am very familiar with all those storylines, and they do res resonate uh, with me for obvious reasons. So um, I, I enjoyed the that exploration as light as it may have been for me yeah it's not super deep obviously but it's definitely picked up right and and you've got to think that the reason that they went down this road for winter soldier is because of avengers and this entire you know corruption distrust of of these these organizations is is just a theme that they kind of went with i, I of course you know we were talking earlier about how far ahead in these movies that they pl they plan and i I imagine in my mind, I feel like they have like a rough sketch outline, but they seem pretty quick to adapt to, to, to new situations and different plot lines and different films. I feel like they they are pretty nimble. So I feel like, you know, maybe Winter Soldier was always an idea of how they wanted to do it. But then it was this new political intrigue kind of thing that came up in Avengers, which is like and especially with Captain, his his thing is uh, he learns that, hey, wait a minute, maybe th these people aren't just 100 percent reliable and 100 percent trustworthy. So it's definitely a uh, neat to see the to see it uh, in hindsight to see kind of the groundwork laid here, and then of course we get an entire amazing film on its own that gets to explore these themes with this character and be like, well, how much would that really affect him? And then of course go on and on and on. And, I mean, obviously still traveling through all the way till Civil War and presumably beyond, not Star Trek Beyond, but but beyond. <laughs> beyond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that what makes this story really interesting is the idea that this is the one part where reality seeps in, because this movie is very comic booky y it, and it, I say it's very cartoony in a lot of ways, uh, but I feel like this is the one part where reality kind of seeps in that the world and S.H.I.E.L.D. is frightened by what's happened to them, and so... Their goal is to try and find a way to protect themselves, especially when the heroes are kind of a band of misfits. You know, um, it's like they're from Misfit Island, the island of misfit toys. Um, you know, it, and they're not really sure if they're actually going to be able to be heroes. You know, that's why the Avengers uh, initiative didn't go forward at the beginning. Because... They weren't thinking these people were really going to work together to be heroes to help save us all. And so I, I love that there is this slight bit of realism where you're, you're if you put yourselves in the position of like Nick Fury and that council, yeah, you got to be worried about your planet after what happened with Thor and realizing that you could probably be wiped out in a matter of moments uh, and you have no way to protect yourselves. <laughs> um, so it is a really interesting thing and it's, it's a little... It's a lot more open-ended, but that's great because that makes for good storytelling in, in the sense that you open a can of worms, but this one's not meant to be completely dealt with here. And like you said, Daniel, you pick it up so brilliantly in uh, Age of Ultron and, of course, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, even some in Civil War. I mean, we've been dealing with this issue for quite some time after this. So uh, they really just do a great job. We set it up and let you push the dominoes down, you know, afterwards. 
but I, I think they do just enough to make it really work. So what I like here is that we have Loki as the villain. And I think that next to Tony Stark, he's probably the best Stop villain it. of the Stop. Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. And I think he works so well here because you know Loki's motivations. He just wants somewhere to rule. And even if somebody's going to put him in as a puppet, you know, leader to be the fact that he's going to rule a planet, you know, that makes him feel good. He, he's I mean, his storyline is shallow here for, for sure. Um, but he's so charming. Tom Hiddleston, right, is so is so good in that role, and 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 it works so well. He doesn't. I mean, he really doesn't get a lot. He's he has he gets beat up a lot. Actually, I was kind of surprised when I was rewatching it this time um, that you know he gets you know shot by Captain America and or, I'm sorry, shot by Iron Man and and uh, hit with the hammer by Thor and, and obviously smashed to the ground by the Hulk and uh, he gets punished uh, in this film. Um, I, I think a lot of credit goes to Tom Hiddleston as the actor because, uh, you know, he, he inhabits that role so kind of perfectly that, uh, yeah, we get it. He was cast out of Asgard and then he was picked up by Thanos, apparently, and uh, just wants some place to rule, I guess. But uh, but I, I, I like him. It, it works. It really works for this film that he's just he's connected to one of the, the heroes and of course, how many times is Thor going to fall for that same trick? I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah, again, the funny, so clever, <laughs> so clever. Yeah, I mean, they they set it up. We again, I agree with you. I mean, I I think the film, as we've all talked about, how rewatchable it is, is this nice mix of not too deep, right? Because you know we all don't want to watch the Seventh Seal over and over and over again. Um, so it's not too deep, but it's just deep enough to give you new things that you can key into and find uh, when you watch it over and over again. So I agree that the, the the Loki backstory is not super super deep, but they set it up nicely. I mean, he's you know, and again, it's a really common theme. He's lived in the shadow of Thor, you know, the all perfect son, um, you know, the Boromir to uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name now. Somebody help me. The son, younger son, Faramir, younger son. Wrong person Nobody can, over here. Oh, Faramir. Yeah, Fer yeah, there you go, Faramir. You know, he's Faramir to to uh, Boromir there, and you know, so he feels uh, disjointed and, and wants to be in control and to be able to display the same power as as his uh, incredibly good looking older <laughs> brother. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I get it, and I do. I I give Tom Hiddleston. They're really great actors. I mean, I think everybody does such a great job in their role, and he really is just stunning as Loki, which in future films comes out even more. I, I enjoy. I enjoyed his performance so much. Well, and what I like about him is this one. I mean, it's not a little scene, but it's that scene that he has where you know he's stolen the eyeball from somebody, which is gruesome. Uh, and then he walks outside and he tells everybody to kneel. And he makes this really interesting philosophical statement that humans are made to be ruled. And the old man in the crowd stands up and he says, not by the likes of you. And I thought that was such an interesting question in, in exchange because are we as humans meant to have somebody rule over this? 
if so, by who? Or if not, then I mean, we're left up to our own designs. I mean, it is it is when if you start to go down the little rabbit trails of that question, it's the biggest question there is in humanity. Like, if if we're meant to have, because I mean, really, it comes down to is is there like a God? If there's not, you know, I mean, you're really asking that question in such a small place. And I just, to me. I love when a movie like this asks a question like that that you can ponder on for a very long time um, and and have to do a lot of in-depth study. But that wasn't like the sole focus of the film. It was just one little moment, and it can make you think. And to me, that's, that's a fantastic use of a villain and a film to really bring out something that you might not normally think about every day, but... Are humans made to be ruled? Are we, I mean, the, the question of gods, and I mean, we're talking about that because, you know, Captain America responds to uh, Black Widow when he says, uh, there's only one god, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. You know, so we're at, we're talking about this subject. It's funny, but it's there, and that's, to me, that's fascinating stuff. You know, I, I will say that the, the line that sticks with me more out of that line is the is the one immediately afterwards uh when uh you know you know he's like you're you're meant to be ruled and uh and he says uh not by men like you uh, and he says that there are always men like you and i felt like that's kind of where that scene was building and leading to me at least that's this, that's what i walked away um was more about I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I didn't look at it that deep on that level. I was thinking it was more of a nature of kind of humanity question. Like what, there are people who will always try to, to kind of subjugate other people. And uh, so I, my immediate reaction to, to your, the way you're questioning it is like, no, no, clearly the film is saying that people aren't supposed to be ruled. But I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's, it's an interesting way to look at it as well. I would say that it's... Or not, I guess, was, would be my response. You know, so you can choose to go down those rabbit holes. Or if you're not the kind of person who's so inclined, you can just have that be your, oh, Nazi, here's the Nazi reference for, you know, 2012 or whenever the film came out, moving on and not go down that, that rabbit hole. But for people who perhaps have a more philosophical bend are given the opportunity um, to think about it uh, more deeply, and I do. I agree with you that it's that's really good writing. That's a really a brilliant way to make the film appealing to a lot of different people. Um, as to what I think, the question, my immediate response when I read that in the show notes was the Queen. <laughs> but, <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I can I can read it both ways. You know, is it is it essentially a line that's talking about the nature of evil and the fact that. Uh, in humanity, there will always be evil, or having it be more of a um, religious philosophical question as to does man have free will, or is there someone destined to rule over them uh, in perpetuity? So uh, I think it's great. Again, I think it's just really good writing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you because I think you guys both brought up places where that you can expound on what I was saying like there's different areas and, and it has different connotations and I just I think that's pretty fantastic and anytime that a uh, a film 
can lead to that many questions if you want to think about it. Like you said, Alice, you can just pass it by and just have it be kind of like you said, the Nazi reference or the uh, they're always going to be bad guys uh, kind of thing. Um, you can do that, but you can also dive in super deep like we just did. And as you know, I like it super deep on this show let's not let's not have a re let's not have a redo shall we <laughs> now uh, this is the part of the show where we're going to have some fun and just talk about some great things music action and alice wanted to talk about hulk's pants so we're going to yes, do that yes. but first before we get to hulk's pants one of the things about the Marvel movies for me has always been that most of them don't have great soundtracks, ones that I really remember, but the Avengers theme that Sylvester creates here is, to me, the most memorable of all of them. Oh, and I really like this score. I, it's, it's, it's one of the few that I actually wanted to buy and own, and I enjoy the theme for Avengers. I'm mean, a huge soundtrack geek. And so having a theme that was kind of hummable, and when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's the Avengers. You immediately know what it is. To me, that was fantastic. So I really liked the work that they did here. Um, Hum it, it was, for me. Hum it for yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. So you I'm hear not it a, a I'm bit? not a soundtrack person. Yeah. So it's 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 rare when one exerts itself. But I guess on the plus side, the music wasn't so um, self-important that it took me out of the film. So I mean, I guess that's a positive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually I'm I'm with you on this, Matt. Uh, I I I love the soundtrack for this film. Um, as in so much as I can remember it, I I, I do like the theme, and it does immediately bring me back. There are uh, beats of it that they do in in Ultron. That also kind of gets me there as well. And, uh, you know, I, it's interesting, right? Comic book films of the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, they all have very iconic kind of, uh, and even the early 2000s um, with, with maybe Spider-Man, if you wanted to argue, iconic kind of uh, themes and soundtracks. And if you heard those, 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 that music, you would kind of recognize where it comes from. Certainly with, you know, Superman, Batman, all of that stuff. Uh, it seems generally now uh, the block, the big blockbusters, kind of uh, are hit or miss and kind of, kind of more generic sounding uh, overall. But I agree with you that this is definitely probably the strongest Marvel soundtrack um, that there is. It's it's good and it's uh, and every time like they get to the title sequence there with the Avengers, I'm like, yeah, now I'm I'm ready to go. I, I like that cue a lot. Yes, yes, which is funny because it's very reminiscent of 2009 Star Trek. That where the 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 letters are yep. turning and it's that very powerful music score behind it with the you know the lens flare there. I mean, it's like J.J. Abrams had a part to do. Like that was his one directorial part of this film. The he sequence. just did the title track. <laughs> yeah, the credit sequence. Um, I want the letters to turn just like this. We need some lens flare here. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> one of the things that this film does do, though, I mean, because it's the the first team up uh, of action heroes and really the biggest comic book movie to this point. Um, it does really define the tone for comic book movies for not having the action be too realistic. You know, it's very cartoonish and the cart, uh, the consequences of the action are very lighthearted. Um, 
you know, if you, if you think about what's really happening in, in New York, uh, aliens are invading, big things are landing on top of buildings and stuff. I mean, it would probably look a lot more like the end of Man of Steel than it does the Avengers, but they play it so cartoony that it feels lighthearted, you know? Like, and, and so they, I feel like this film really set the mood for what people thought that comic book movies should look like in the future, you know? Um, because it in the the consequences to it that they're, they're not really all that big, you know. Um, I I didn't see any buildings fall down, and I didn't, you know, like I I don't remember any buildings. No, I don't remember any buildings falling down. One of the flying down. fish things collapses totally on top of a building. Yeah, he There's does collapse on a building, but the building doesn't fall. That's the thing. So, and in fact, like one of them kind of scrapes the side of a building, it doesn't fall. So that's my point is like the action here doesn't have a lot of consequences to the city that it's being had on. I mean, there's some debris that falls on the streets, but there aren't any, I mean, again, it doesn't look like Man of Steel where buildings are falling down and, you know, like realistically what probably happened. So I, I feel like they just really set the stage for what, superhero movies people kind of thought that they would should look like from then on so i think that's just really interesting choice but it keeps it very much in that cartoon realm instead of a more realistic realm well but so all of the and i don't know the answer to this question i'm actually honestly asking you so there you know all of the other films leading up to this one iron man iron man 2 and the other store um the first avenger all of that were they less cartoony? I mean, aren't I mean, obviously Marvel's The Avenger isn't the first Marvel superhero movie. So were they different in the way they presented their action consequences? I, mean, I would I would say that it just doesn't happen on such a large scale in any of those other films. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it is kind of presenting it in such a way. I don't want to say that they. Yeah, for this film, I guess I would say that they kind of maybe downplayed a little bit. But obviously, this comes up as a as uh, a consequence in civil war uh and moving forward um yeah maybe they were afraid to do buildings toppling over new york for obvious reasons you know i don't know um it also yeah it, it's also more like these avengers are coming in to actually save the day and so i think for the a majority of that storyline they're going to have them save most of the people um, so it is more of a, it's more of like a pushing towards that positive kind of message, I think. Uh, and then of course, obviously you're not going to want to see people getting squished by buildings and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, you know, you bring up Man of Steel and, uh, that's a whole, uh, another conversation obviously, but this is a different way to handle it than Man of Steel. And if, if the Avengers presented it the same way Man of Steel did, that it would probably have the same level of backlash, uh, I would say, that Man of Steel does as well. Right. I mean, if the at the end of the movie, you're going to have people who are buying into the Avengers idea. You obviously don't want the consequences to be so horrible that nobody, yeah, they saved us in this way, but my mom died because she was squished by the, the flying thingy when it fell on the building. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, they kind of need a positive ending. For me, the thing about the action was there were times as uh, non-consequential as you, a non-consequential, I can't even say that word, as, as little impact as the action had in the film, um, there were times for me where it was really easy to follow, and then times for me where I was just confused. 
And I always hate that in action sequences where I'm like, okay, well, there's crap flying everywhere and it's going down, but I'm not really sure who's doing what to whom. And there were definitely just a few scenes uh, for me in the film that were, were like that. Um, but again, overall, uh, it's such a fun film. It doesn't, it didn't in any way impact, didn't make me go like, oh, well, this is a stupid movie. I still really enjoyed it. But there were times where I had a little bit of, I thought the action scenes were a little bit muddy. I Yeah, that's interesting because um, that's not something that I really feel in this one. But I completely understand feeling like that because I felt like that in the new Star Trek yep. movie mm-hmm. um, where there were some yeah. scenes where I was like, oh my goodness, uh, I can't really see what's going on here. So, um, But again, this, this film, I think that's... It's neither. It's not really neither here nor there. Uh, I think they they do a good job with uh, the action and um, it's it's fun action again. It, it it's very lighthearted. It's very family friendly. And this is even you know before the Disney buyout. I think of Marvel or this might be their first movie that they do. So, um, but it 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 works and I I like the way it works and I'm glad that um, I don't need every film to be a Man of Steel like. You know, and I don't need every film to be a, um, you know, Avengers like, you know, you just have to choose where you want your film to be. And I think uh, that's that's OK, you know, for them to not all be homogenous. Oh, God. Yes. You know, well, I wouldn't yeah. want to see the other, same movie yeah, over and over no. and over again. No, thank you. So I wanted to ask you, Alice, because um, wh- what did you want to talk about with Hulk's pants? The pants. I just, you know, to me, that's one of those things that you should just leave to the suspension of disbelief. Just don't try and explain it. Don't try, because no matter what you say, it's going to be stupid. So the whole fact that they make the effort of when he falls through the building and the old man is like, yeah, you fell through the building naked, here are your clothes. And then the next scene, when he hulks out, he's got the same pants on. <laughs> you know, and when did the pants come off in the first, you know, it just, it, it ends up not making sense. So just don't try and explain it. People will come up with their own explanations or they won't care so just leave it alone don't explain the pants <laughs> i think you have your title matt uh it's it, it is it is an in-joke right it's an in-joke for 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 fans for hulk fans like it's always been how does this tiny you know 34 inch wasted guy become this massive green hulking man and still wear the same pants and only just the just the tips you know where his ankles are ripped and like how, do, how does that even work and i think it was just a call out to that but i i mean i totally understand if if you you don't think about that a lot and then it the the film points it out to you very very clearly and says oh no somehow you lost your pants when you were falling from the sky and now here's your magic pants your magic purple pants that you can wear uh, that will stretch with you no matter what size you get. Uh, yeah, yeah. Clearly, I think we can all uh, we can all agree it's better than the alternative of an actual Hulk without pants uh, flying around. Uh, the speak city. for yourself, Daniel. <laughs> speak for yourself. Okay. My son actually asked about like, well, what about his underwear, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> That's good. I I love the idea that we're having a conversation about Hulk's pants. <laughs> so. I just love that. And it is funny because that is one of those things that comic book fans talk about, you know, like how does Superman shave, you know, how does Hulk wear his pants? It's a comic book. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I guess that leads me to the the final question for you guys. What would you rate Avengers 
The Avengers. What about you, Alice? Uh, I really want to give it an inappropriate rating <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but I won't. Uh, I, you know, I would give it a good 9.5 out of 10 uh, Hawkeye arrows. So ultimately disappointing is what you're saying. I, I kid. I kid. <laughs> what about you, Daniel? <laughs> um, Man, this film is so, 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 so good. Um... One thing I wanted to mention that I had thought about while I was watching it, and this is totally post-Avengers stuff, so you can forgive me for it, but uh, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man is 10 or 11 when these events happen. Just keep that in, keep that in mind for, for future movies. Um, but anyways, uh, I love this film. I really do. Um, it's probably or is my favorite Marvel film. I'd have to go back and look at my list. Uh, but it's up there for sure. So yeah, I mean, this is like, this is like, oh, this is like Mark nineteen armor for for uh, that would be my rating. Mark nineteen, or, or what was the what was the armor that he used when he he jumped out the window when he got the circle back? Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's really high. I would say uh, you know nine out of ten for sure. <laughs> Oh goodness! Well, uh, you know, I I think for me, uh, Avengers is is straight up four out of five cap shields, and this is this is a really good movie. It's so much fun, uh, it's so well done, and there's there's really not a lot that I have to complain about in the movie. So I I really really enjoy this, and I continue to enjoy rewatching it. So. We get to do this because we have amazing associate producers here through Patreon. I love these guys. Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, they help make sure that the show comes to you each and every week. And without them, it wouldn't. So thank you so much, guys. Uh, now, uh, we're a listener-supported network. And so if you're like uh, Ken or Davis and, and you like great quality content, Star Trek and beyond with the 602 Club, find out more at patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help the network keep coming to you each and every week all the shows we do over 20 shows special feeds so much going on celebrating the 50th anniversary of star trek so go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of our team now daniel i uh, love having you back here it's so great to talk some more marvel with you have a little bit of a civil war where can everybody find you online well, they can find me here on Trek FM every week talking all things uh, Star Trek The Next Generation with my co-hosts Philip and Darren uh, on Earl Grey. And they can find me personally on Twitter at uh, 1UpDan. That's the number one, not the word. And Alice, uh, of course, you are from our, I like to think of it as our sister network, uh, Educating Geeks. So tell everybody about the network and then, of course, where they can find you online as well. Certainly. So over at Educating Geeks, uh, our main two podcasts are the Educating Geeks podcast and the EG Drinking Game Rules podcast. Uh, and our thing is we like to find amongst our friends people who haven't ever watched the Avengers, for example, and say, hey, we all need to get together and watch the Avengers and then talk about it. So we get the newbie's perspective uh, versus the superfan's perspective. And I always find the conversations uh, pretty interesting because uh, the perspectives always uh, reveal things that you wouldn't have uh, thought of before. But what I want to specifically talk about is we have a new podcast that just started. Chrissy Lentz, uh, one of our geek hosts, is doing a podcast called Woe, a most excellent Keanu Reeves podcast, uh, where she's watching every single Keanu Reeves uh, film 
starting there she pairs two of them the very first film with the very last film and then she's working toward the middle which i think hits the matrix interestingly enough um so check that out on the network it's a lot of fun uh and you can either be in the keanu reeves is awesome camp or the keanu reeves is camp which is the camp i'm in (laughs) uh but we really enjoy it and uh, for me personally, you can pretty much find me anywhere on the interwebs uh, if you search for A-L-C-B-K-R. And thanks for having me back. It's always so much fun over here in the 602 Club. Well, I love having you guys back, and I appreciate you so much spending some time with me to talk about Avengers. Uh, we, we talked about a good one tonight. So uh, if you've never seen this film for some reason, like, you need to drop what you're doing. Which, I mean, it, it, not if you're holding, like, your child or something. Don't drop your child. But, you know, if, you're, if you can drop it, drop it and just go watch it because you'll you'll love it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb here on the network with Chris Jones where we're talking about Deep Space Nine. And then I'm doing Literary Treks with Dan and Bruce talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And, of course, hanging out with John Mills on aggressive negotiations there on the Nerd Party where we're talking about Star Wars. And uh, you can also find us there on iTunes under aggressive negotiations. So be sure to check that out. Well, thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now. You hear?